0: Infirmary Media.
1: People engage to stop a duel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Duel in decades. Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Fan, Halen locked in mortal combat with David Gray. Fan ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Duel in
2: decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. This week, duelers, I am back in action and desperately trying to pick up a win here in the singles division as I duel with my sixth birthday, February 5th, 1984, in this birthday battle. And my opponent tonight.
0: Hey, guys, I am Drew Zachman making my second appearance on this awesome show. And the day I am... Representing is my birthday, April 29th, 1996, so that would be my 16th birthday.
2: And as always here on our show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness, so let me introduce to you tonight's judge. He is better known as the current Dueling Decades champion and the tag team partner I apparently piggyback off of. He is Man Crush.
1: What is up? Let's do this. Uh, I got a page out of my William Cat book. Uh, when he was on the show a couple of years ago, he had the wine. So that's who I feel like tonight. I got a little glass of uh Cabernet Sauvignon. So is it Sauvignon or Sauvignon Blanc? I don't even fucking know, but it's red. And this is what we're doing tonight. Um Interested to see what you guys have for your awful picks for your birthdays. Cause it's never good. I've never had a birthday episode where I'm like, holy shit, you had a great birthday. It's always been garbage. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to the garbageness, and to judge it. Let's do this.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and for this birthday battle, hot products is replaced with sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, I just got two questions for you. Are you ready to play Dueling Decades? And what the fuck are Robster (laughs) Craws? All right, toss it over to Man Crush for the toss off. All right. As always, a
1: staple of my judgment, I like to use my central nervous system test to see how many taps I can get. And Drew, since you are the uh, the guest, I suppose, since Mark has a win, uh, I think you do, right?
2: Singles? I don't even remember at this point, man. It's been <laughs> so long. I think I got like one win when we first started Holy and fuck. not one since. I'm like, oh, for the last century.
1: So the, uh, the favorite would be Drew with this. But Drew, you're still going to get, if you guess the closest to my CNS test, Okay, you just got to count whatever number of taps I get. So I don't know if you think I look limber, but let's see. Actually, just I'll do it first and then you can guess a number. Ready? Oh, that was a pretty decent one. All right. How many
2: taps did I get? Did you stretch first?
1: <laughs> I should you know what? If I did, I probably would have broken this barrier.
0: He didn't stretch first, but he did pull his muscle.
1: <laughs> That's after.
0: Well, he I mean, I felt I felt like if he stretched first, he would have had a better performance. So uh <laughs> I might dock him a couple there. So I might I'm gonna put him at 36. All right. Mark? Uh I'm gonna say thirty two. Wow.
1: <laughs> Fuck you, man. I had thirty nine.
0: Oh. Wow! Damn! And I, if,
1: you know, Drew, I will stretch next time because I want to break that 40 barrier, and I was really trying. You'll get
2: it. One. I was overcompensating for the wine. <laughs> I deducted you <laughs> way too many points, man. I've only had two glasses, <laughs> man. It's
0: not that bad.
2: Alright, Drew, you got control of the board. What category would you like
0: to go with first? Man. Alright, so I'm going to go with... Uh, this is not my best category here, so I'm going to lead off with this one here. So, I'm going to start with TV. I'll start with the one that happened directly on April 29th, 1996. Uh, the debut of TV land, which was an offshoot of Nickelodeon's late night block, uh, Nick at night. The channel was devoted to round the clock broadcasts of classic TV shows. Uh, I remember Roseanne was on there. Uh, one of the cool things I actually remember watching, uh, you know, some of these shows on occasion and for the commercials, they would actually have, I think they're called TV land retro commercials. So they would have like the, The Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball from the Alka Seltzer and uh, uh, the Tootsie Pop Al, like the one, two, three, and then he would, it's three bites to get to the center. Do you guys remember that one? I love that commercial. I don't know why. Um, Did
1: they do uh, Chicken Tonight? Because I've wanted to hear that in the longest time. Do you remember that one? It was like, Feel like Chicken chicken Tonight? tonight." Oh, yeah, yeah. Chicken Tonight. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's a great one I, I I don't remember seeing that one, um, Damn but it. they had they had like a Point bunch throw. of really cool like old school like like retro commercials. It was pretty cool i i I feel like that was actually more fun than watching some of the shows. It was like just like funny watching some of these things that we watched back in the day. um, so yeah, so TV land. I remember uh, Roseanne was on there, uh so there are a lot of a lot of good shows on there. so debut of TV lands and the other one, uh, which came on april twenty ninth an- I'm sorry april twenty eighth another debut, uh everyone's favorite. Fox News Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Mark just puked. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> a Sunday morning talk show airing on the broad, yes, Fox Network. Uh, so it's been actually active since 1996. Uh, it's a presentation of the Fox News channel. It's the only regularly scheduled Fox News program carried on the main Fox Network. Tony Snow was the first host. And I think he went from 96 to 2003. And then since 2003, it's been Chris Wallace and it's been on for 23 seasons. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Off
1: to Mark.
2: All right. Well, February 5th, 1984. Wow. TV. It was a Sunday. We were only a couple of days away from the opening ceremonies from the 1984 Winter Olympics, which would dominate the TV coverage. But I stayed true to form and went with two selections that actually were on my birthday, February 5th, 1984. It was a made-for-TV movie called My Mother's Secret Life. (laughs) A 16-year-old Toby, played by Amanda Weiss, has just lost her father, whom she has been living with. She finds her mother's address in his papers, so Toby builds up the fantasy of what her mother would look like and what her life is like only to find out that she is a high-priced call girl.
0: Yes! (laughs) I was not expecting that plot twist.
2: So Amanda Weiss plays the daughter, and the mother is played by none other than Lonnie Anderson. Oh, there you go.
1: (laughs) Was this on Lifetime? Sounds like a Lifetime movie.
2: No, I believe this was on ABC. Yeah, this was
0: on ABC. Oh, wow.
1: Really breaking boundaries on
0: ABC. That should have been an after-school special.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My mother, the whore. <laughs> that was the working title. <laughs> Originally, Farrah Fawcett had accepted the starring role. And then
1: she read the script. <laughs>
2: exactly, because it said she had they had creative differences. So she backed out of the project. Um, but Amanda Weiss is in it, and this is a made for TV movie. This is in nineteen eighty four. This is before this is before Nightmare. Nightmare? Yeah, yeah wow. this is before Nightmare before Better Off Dead. So that's my first entry. My second entry is going to be an episode of *Night Rider on February 5th, 1984, entitled Race for Life. This was season two, episode 16. April's adopted niece, Becky, needs a bone marrow transplant within 72 hours to stay alive. Mike tracks down the only available donor, Julio Rodriguez, who is a gang member wanted for murder of a gang leader.
1: Is that really murder?
2: <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a favor. Yeah, it's like, come on. It's like the
1: Punisher being a bad guy.
2: Well, interesting side note for this episode. It is the very first time Kit used police mode in the car. That's a big deal. Yeah, it was the first time that happened in this episode. Kit also communicates with a, a, another female car named Irma, which stands for Interstate Research and Medical Assistance. Robin Lively who guest starred in it, was nominated for a Young Artist Best Award for her performance in this episode. So episode of Night Rider that aired February 5th, 1984. Wow, Robin Lively.
1: There's a name I haven't heard in a while. There is a, <laughs> a potential judge for a future episode. Nice little uh, redhead on the show. That would work out. All right, so let's look at these picks real quick. We have uh, 1996. Drew came with the TV Land launch. and I'm not going to lie. That is really... Uh, like a big deal compared to all four. I think that's like the the biggest one. The Fox news Sunday. You can't say anything. I mean, obviously you agree or you disagree with the show or the politics of it, but the fact that it's been on for 23 years right. is pretty fucking solid. So you really can't knock that. Uh, and then compared to Mark brought my mother, the whore, AKA, <laughs> My Mother's Secret Life, a.k.a. My Mother's a Prostitute, uh, which is weird. It can happen to anyone.
0: Yeah, I
1: guess. Uh, It's cool that that's probably one of Amanda Weiss's first roles or whatever, but in such a shitty role. If it was like an after-school special, kind of like the the Phoenix Brothers had back in the day about dyslexia, I would give it some extra points.
2: And in case you're wondering, Amanda Weiss and Lonnie Anderson – there's only 15 years age difference. So she really was a whore. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. So it's a little factual. And then we move on to Knight Rider and uh, Race for Life. And you said this is the first time. What exactly is police mode?
2: I have no
0: clue. I don't watch Knight Rider, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I have a question. I'm trying to think of the logistics. So uh, this person needed this transplant. And the gang leader, where, where, what was the distance between the two? I'd like to find that out if you know.
1: They're always in the same town, man. He never leaves town.
0: But he has Kit, so Kit can like go from like cross country in like fifteen hours. Well, they needed some
2: sort of plot device to build tension. Come on, <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to figure out the logistics here. <laughs> All right, I think we have a problem when we're arguing about the logistics of fucking Night
0: Rider. <laughs> how,
1: how fast can Kit actually drive? Uh, the weight disparity with Michael in the car. Uh, The
0: Hoff will get anybody. I'd be like, please, Hoff, come get my marrow. (laughs) I would give it to him in a second, whether I was a gang leader or not. I'm not a gang leader, by the way. Just suck it right out of the bone, Hoff. (laughs) Just like a greasy (laughs) burger. All right. Anyhow,
1: I'm going to have to give this one to uh, to 96. I think the TV land launch and the Fox News thing, I think uh, you're selling it a little short. I think it's actually far better than uh, than Mark's two picks, but I will give Mark some uh, some kudos for having two things that actually popped up on his birthday. Uh, not to say that you know you picked something that wasn't on your birthday and you had the choice. Sometimes you just don't have a choice and you got to pick whatever is closest. But it's cool that you had both those on your sixth birthday, even though you weren't fucking watching Knight Rider. Fuck, were you watching?
0: <laughs> it could have been
1: MSNBC. Wasn't around then.
0: Oh well. <laughs> I don't know. NBC was though.
1: <laughs> alright. So it's uh Drew, you got the board again. We're up uh one zero, nineteen ninety six in the lead.
0: Yeah, all right. So I'm gonna
1: <laughs> Yeah, it <laughs> never starts around good when you just give it away with a Well I'm ugh. trying to I'm
0: trying to do the the math here. I'm like, well what's gonna get me what's like my lead? <laughs> I'd rather try to save something that I have a shot at winning for my two point <laughs> round, but alright, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with sports here. Oh boy. So um yeah i'm going to get i'm going to get across. okay so i'm going with sports next <laughs> i'm not i'm not right. selling this so uh the first, so i actually remember that day uh, april ninth, 1996 cuz that was my 16th birthday so i i played baseball in high school and up through college and i remember that game the great nottingham high school that i attended was playing princeton day school and we beat them like 19 nothing we just like smoked them but for whatever reason like were you guys playing
1: a preschool <laughs> what the
0: fuck no were a day school, school? It's like it's like a prep school. Uh, They 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 would crush us at hockey every year, but we were we beat them at baseball. But um, I went, so we put up like 19 runs that game, and I went 0 for 4 with three Ks. Like it was just it was horrible. Like everybody had it. Like even like our shittiest players had hits except me. I I struck out three times. It was ridiculous. I hated it. So that was that's one thing for sports. I'm not going to use that, but. That's one that. I was
1: like, man, you're really trying to win this round.
0: No, that was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you beat a group of fucking seven-year-olds in uh, baseball that day.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: At the day school.
0: <laughs> they were, it was a high school, damn it. And we kicked the shit out of them in the parking lot. <laughs> That's right. And then we took lunch their lunch money. And their parents. Uh, okay. So April 29th, Juan Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. The uh, The Baltimore Orioles actually wound up beating the Texas Rangers- on April 29th, 1980... I'm sorry, 1996. 8-7. to seven. But Juan Gonzalez uh, of the Texas Rangers with that awesome leg kick that he had, went 2-5 for five against the O's. And this is when the O's were good, by the way. Uh, he had a home run and 2 RBI, and he would actually go on to win the MVP that season. So this is like towards the beginning of the year. Juan GON had finished with 47 home runs, 144 RBI with a 314 average that year. Won a Silver Slugger. Also in that game, three Hall of Famers. You had... Pudge, Yvonne Rodriguez. You had Roberto Alomar and Cal Ripken jr. Uh, also that game featured Brady Anderson who went on to hit 50 home runs that year. That was like that crazy year. he I had. remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much like out of nowhere. I actually got to interview him. So I used to write for a paper in Baltimore called the Baltimore guide. And I covered the Orioles and I got to interview him a few years ago. Dude is still jacked up. Like he would <laughs> kick my ass in a second. And I'm like, bro, you're like pushing like 50 now. And he's, he's still a beast. So uh, that's that's my first pick. I'm not I'm not exactly thrilled about that, but it's what I had to work with. Um, so the other right. one, um, <laughs> April 29th, 1996. This was whew, such a, a phenomenal game of athletic competition between the Portland Trailblazers and the Utah Jazz. So this was Game Three of the playoff series between the two of them. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers won in overtime. It was a nail biter, 94 to 91. This game featured several phenomenal uh, basketball players. You had Carl Malone from the Jazz, John Stockton, uh, Jeff Hornacek uh, from the Trailblazers. You had Cliff Robinson, Rod Strickland, uh, Arvitas Sabanis, who I loved him because he was like, what, seven feet tall, but he would still shoot threes like it was nobody's business. So He's not your
2: Vitas, He's not my Vitas, He's our Vetus. He's everyone's <laughs> Vetus.
0: So, yeah, so they had, um, they had some good players there. It was an overtime game. Carl Malone had 35 points and 10 rebounds. John Stockton had 11 assists because that's what he did. Uh, he was just a monster, dishing the ball. Uh, and then um, from the Trailblazers' side, uh, Ar- 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 Arvius Sabanis had 27 points and 12 rebounds. So uh, pretty pretty good game that I don't remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like what? The first round of the playoffs?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. First, first round. round. All right.
1: So, I mean it is what it's It's the day that you got
0: neither team would even make it to the so the the Bulls the Bulls wound up Bulls wound up winning the championship over the Sonics four games to two that yeah that
1: was during their um, run actually it was one of their that runs. was one of their runs right right right
0: that was after Jordan
1: came, came back, back from yep baseball. where he switched his number yep all right Mark what do you got I'm sure yours is equally as shitty
2: by the look on your face all right February 5th 1984 again my birthday. Uh, Hale Irwin wins at Pebble Beach. Now, the interesting thing about this win, it was iconic for him. Um, He calls it the greatest second shot of his life. His two-iron shot from the fairway bunker on the second playoff hole is one the television commentators announced that could not even be done. The setup for the 10-foot birdie, it shocked uh, Jim Nelford and provided Irwin with the title in the 43rd Bing Crosby National Pro-Am. But that's not even the interesting thing about this. We got to go back to before the playoff holes to the par 5 18th, where he hits a shot, totally blows it. You've seen that scene in like Tin Cup where he hits the shot into the water. This is what happens. He hits a shot over in Pebble Beach on 18. Now, if you're familiar with Pebble Beach, that's got that really rocky coastline up the side. Yep. He shanks the ball. It goes into the water bounces off a rock straight up back onto the fairway. Then on his approach to the green, he overshoots the chip, but luckily the ball hits the flag post and drops straight down for an easy putt. Because of those two miracles from God, he was able to go on to the playoff holes and win the tournament at Pebble Beach. One of the greatest uh, wins at Pebble Beach
0: ever and an iconic win for Hale Irwin's career. That's insane. But, I mean, the the two iron out of the bunker, I don't know if you guys are golfers or not, but hitting a two iron out of the bunker is highly not advised. No. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, to, for them to – and I don't remember the shot, but, I mean, I, I can't imagine a two because you're getting – I mean, I don't remember where, like, the height of the bunker, but getting any loft on that, like, you're not getting any, so –
2: Yeah, it's great. When he shanks the shot, they kind of had to turn down the audio a bit because he was mumbling stuff under his breath and (laughs) some expletives in a a stream of expletives. But then when it bounces back on the fairway, you could see him kind of looking up at the sky and pointing. When he finally putted it into the wind, again, you could see him talking, and they asked him what he said as he was putting, and he's like, oh, I was apologizing for all the words I said on the earlier shot. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my first story. My second story, we're going to go to February 4th, 1984, the day before my birthday, uh, because quarterback Warren Moon, who led the Edmonton Eskimos to five con- consecutive Canadian Football League championships, agreed to sign a multi-million dollar contract to play for the Houston Oilers. Now, Lee Steinberg, uh, Moon's attorney, could not divulge details at this point, but they said that the contract was worth $5.5 million. Now, let's go to the next day, my actual birthday, February 5th. Of course, all of this then comes out in an official announcement by the team. Warren Moon plans to sign the contract with the Houston Oilers, and the contract is worth $6 million. It is touted as one of the largest uh, contracts ever in professional football. And, of course, Warren Moon would go on to be one of the great quarterbacks in the NFL and a Hall of Famer. So that's my second news story, Warren Moon signs with the Houston Oilers in the NFL
1: wow
0: watching football like in the 80s and early 90s was all like i would watch that all day over i mean i like watching football now but back then it was so much fun i mean you had guys like moon moon he's like also like insanely underrated oh absolutely. Uh, still you know he had marino you had uh you know, Elway he had a lot of those like great players back then, and it was just so much fun to watch. But yeah, Warren Moon was so freaking good. That offense was insane. Yeah, he just didn't always have the tools around him.
2: And then he went to the Vikings, and but by that time his career was on the down He was a bit older. Low. Yeah, yeah.
0: He had some decent receivers. He had, I mean, it was like probably like late '80s, early '90s. He had Ernest Givens, Haywood Jeffries. He had some decent receivers in um, Houston. But yeah, man, he was.
1: You're forgetting. You're forgetting the great Mouse Davis and the run and shoot offense <laughs> that, that they put in.
0: Yeah, that was fun to watch. It
1: was fun to fucking watch. It, like the run and shoot was my favorite of the early nineties. Yeah.
0: Um, K-Gun, the K gun was fun to watch. I mean, that didn't win any Super Bowls in Buffalo, but man, watching Jim Kelly manage that—holy
2: shit! It was really yeah. great to play in Madden too. That's <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> All right, let's get back to these picks here. Uh, Ninety-six. Uh the whole thing with Juan Gon and uh the, the jazz. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a thumbs down. I'm yeah. i definitely Juan Gonzalez, the biggest thing I remember about him is his rated rookie, uh Don Russ card that was reverse negative. And uh yes. the fact that he hit a shitload of home runs and he's still not in the Hall of Fame because there's all kinds of talk about juice steroids. But we've had this talk many times on the show. I'm for the steroids, so that's not really a <laughs> negative against him. It was a great time in baseball.
2: And you're forgetting the most important thing about Juan Gonzalez. The mustache. No, he has a Z in his name, so you know he's legit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> true. True. Coming off last week's episode, uh, the Jazz versus Trailblazers thing. I like where you're going with all the Hall of Famers in the lineups. Uh, it's kind of cool to hear those names. But then looking at Mark's, uh, I got to go with the very first one. Hail Irwin with this Pebble Beach thing. Mark has done something that nobody has done in this show in two years. (laughs) I have? Two rounds in a row, he's brought up something that I've never fucking heard of. I've never heard of My Mother the Whore, I mean Secret Life, (laughs) or Hail Irwin, I've never heard of in my entire life. But like listening to you tell the story, I kind of want to see it because I love Tin Cup. I just wish he would have used the seven iron. It would have been such a better story knowing that it was connected to that movie. Yeah,
2: you can go on YouTube and you watch... All the greatest highlights from Pebble Beach. That's the highlight from 84. As you see him right on that rocky coastline, he just shanks it right into the water and then it just pops up right back onto the fairway. It's like, there's no way. There was even a reporter that said he had seen over 300 balls that were hit into that water. Never one has ever popped back out of the rocks.
1: Amazing. Anyhow, uh, the Warren Moon thing, though, I think that takes the entire round. Uh, Warm Moon, one of my favorite quarterbacks growing up. This dude could sling it like no other quarterback I've ever seen. He never put anything behind those throws and they were fucking darts all over the field. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wish he would have had a better team. I wish he would have won a Super Bowl. I mean, that's really the only thing that guy was missing. Because if you look at his story, you know, how he did the five years in the CFL and then came up, he was a little like long in the tooth already by the time he got to the NFL. He's in his late 20s. Yeah, which is old, you know, for a a starting quarterback, kind of like Kurt Warner. But this dude was lights out. I just wish he would have been on a better team. But that's a huge story. And what's nuts about that contract, and it's the thing that I love bringing up in these episodes, Uh, Mark, while I'm I'm spitting this out, can you tell me how much $6 million is in 2019? Just for Uh, comparison's sake, because like there's long snappers in the league right now that make just about $3 million a year. And that guy signed a multi-year contract for six million dollars. A Hall of Fame, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. It's
0: probably what, like fifteen million. Probably? I,
1: I'm going to see I'm going to say about fifteen Roughly. million, which is what like Teddy Bridgewater gets as a backup in uh, New Orleans. Actually, he might get more than that now. Survey says
2: fourteen point six million. Oh, damn! That was mm-hmm.
1: fucking pretty spot on, there, Drew. But yeah, uh, close, even yeah. though you got that, you lost around. Uh, I got to give this one oh. to 1984, <laughs> tying the game up at one in Mark. You have control of the board.
2: All right. Uh, Let's go over to news for the final one-point round. Always interesting. All right. So for my first news story, we're going to go up to space. There was a space shuttle mission uh, that started February 3rd, 1984, and uh, they were bringing up a space satellite for Western Union. cost $75 million, and, of course, things always go wrong in space. They launched the space satellite And one of the engines was off kilter. Of course, how the engines work on the satellite is once they ignite, the engines burn until all the fuel is gone. Well, the trajectory was slightly off and it spun the satellite so it did not reach its orbit. So they lost it. Well, on February 5th, they found the satellite. But unfortunately, it was in an orbit that was way too low and they couldn't use it and it had no more fuel. So they're going to have to launch a second satellite. And then on February 5th, they have another mission. And again, tragedy strikes again. They launch a space balloon to do a mission where they're going to play basically tag with the space balloon to simulate following a satellite in case of an emergency. And what happens? The balloon pops in midair. Tragedy strikes again. And all of this happened aboard a space shuttle. I think it was doomed. And of course, yes, I am talking about the Challenger. Because on the Challenger's very next mission, after it returned home from this, it would depart again, and that's when we had the uh, unfortunate tragedy. The one good thing that did come out of this, uh, it was the very first time they were able to do a solo walk with the MMU, the manned maneuvering unit. That's kind of that thing you've seen in every space movie, where it looks like like a booster pack and they have controls for their hands. Yes. Those things are awesome. Shoots out jets. It's like a little suit. That's the first time they ever did an unmanned, untethered walk with one of those. It wasn't on my birthday. It was on the 7th. It was on the same mission. But on my birthday, on the 5th, they found the satellite and then tragedy struck again when their space balloon popped.
0: So all this aboard the Challenger.
1: Go figure.
0: I went one of those jetpacks, by the way. <laughs> I, went, I got to figure out a way to get one. Those things are awesome.
1: Remember on, uh, did you ever watch the show Eastbound and Down? Yeah, uh, I think it was the last season where uh, Kenny and uh, I forgot the guy's name. He's a comedian, and he was like the uh, the head guy on the show. He had one of those packs and he's using it over the lake. And then Kenny got one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm the only one that's allowed to have one of these <laughs> I'd love to have one of those.
2: All right. So my second news story, you know, we got a saying sometimes on the show, if you bring the sadness You're going to lose, but you know, sometimes the story is just too good to pass up and you got to go with what you're dealt with February 5th, 1984. One of the major headlines in New York city is uh, a midtown Manhattan mounted policeman ties up his horse in order to go take a leak. And then the horse gets loose. The horse escapes and gets hit by a taxi cab Ah. in the middle of the street, severely injuring the horse uh they bring all kinds of ambulances in to surround the horse so there's no view and the police officers had to put the horse down in the middle of the street surrounded by spectators it was a major news story it was traumatizing and you know what i know i'm going to win this round because you can't beat a dead horse <laughs> oh here we go <laughs>
1: all right, that's what i put in my notes dead horse all right 1996, please tell me you have some good news.
0: Well, well, okay. (laughs) the first one. So the first one's from April 28th. And this one is Bill Clinton testifies for four and a half hours on tape. Uh, And this is not about him getting helmet in the Oval Office. This is actually about the Whitewater case. And so I don't know if anybody knows or remembers what the Whitewater case was. Uh, Basically, it was... uh, It's a controversy in the 90s. It began with an investigation into the real estate investments of Bill and Hillary Clinton and their associates, Jim McDougal and Susan McDougal, in the Whitewater Development Corporation. The failed business venture was incorporated in 1979 with the purpose of developing vacation properties on land along the White River near Flippin, Arkansas. Now... Clinton was just uh, testifying during that time. Apparently, he testified for like 45 minutes, took a break, and then went for another like three plus hours of cross-examination by the prosecution. Uh, No other details of his testimony could be learned as participants were under a court-imposed gag order. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, But neither uh, Bill nor Hillary were ever prosecuted after three separate inquiries found insufficient evidence linking them with the criminal conduct of others related to the land deal. And the matter was handled by the Whitewater Independent Counsel, some guy, Kenneth Starr. And the last of these inquiries came from the final independent counsel, Robert Ray. Uh, and then Susan McDougall, who was involved in there, was somehow granted a pardon by President Clinton before he left office. So, nothing nothing shady there. <laughs> so, that was, uh, that was the first story. The Whitewater controversy, or scandal, if you will. My next one, this is not a great story, but... It led to other things that were better, so I'm trying to remain optimistic here. So, uh, on April 28th, uh, some jerk-off named Martin Bryant had a few bad years, so he decided to take his frustrations out on numerous innocent people. And uh, That day, Bryant shot and killed 35 people Holy and wounded fuck. 23 others. So, that happened on the 28th of April. He was apprehended on April 29th. Uh, and I am talking about the Port Arthur massacre oh, yeah. uh, in Australia. Now he was given 35 life sentences without the possibility of parole. the The incident itself was obviously bad enough, but I think what has come after that, I think, is the. I mean, I mean, not I'm not saying that losing those people was you know uh, small by any means, but what happened after that, I think Australia did it right. Uh, But following that incident, the Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, led the development of strict gun control laws within Australia. And he formulated the National Firearms Agreement, restricting the private ownership of semi-automatic rifles, semi-automatic shotguns, and pump-action shotguns, as well as introducing uniform firearms licensing. And it was implemented with bipartisan support by the Commonwealth, states, and territories. So, there we go. So they had a problem. They fixed it. I haven't had any issues like that since. Wow.
1: That's a fucking big one. All right. So looking at these two, we got 84, 96, uh, four boring stories, mostly uh, filled with sadness. Um, I'm going to have to go with 96 just because I think both stories have more legs. Uh, Obviously, uh, it's bad to say, but Challenger didn't really go much further after 1986 and the dead horse that Mark had, uh, did that lead to any change? They still have mounted <laughs> cops, uh, which I never really understood why cops were on horses. I mean, what like what is this fucking 1847?
2: Horses don't get caught in traffic jams. <sighs> well,
1: neither do my- motorcycles. True. So, I mean, they caught a lot more <laughs> bad guys on chips than they did on, uh, yeah, the... There is no show where cops are on a horse. Actually, there was. There was a show with Andy Sipowicz, I think, before <laughs> fucking NYPD Blue, where he was a mounted... Yes, and there was. Look it up. Don't remember what the fucking name is, but I think it lasted like one or two seasons. Did he play the horse? Uh, no, he did not. He was the cop. <laughs> oh. Very typecasted. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with 1996 on this one. I think the, uh, the Whitewater thing, obviously there's still talk about the Clintons and all that. So that's got legs. And then of course the thing with Australia, they made the changes and you know, it seems to be going pretty well for them. So I got to give that one a 96. So drew takes a two to one lead going into the two point rounds and control the board. What do you got?
0: Uh, real quick before we move on, there was a TV show where I think it had a, uh, a Mountie. I don't know if anybody remembers this. It was called due South.
2: Oh yes!
0: It was like it was like a, a Canadian yeah. Mountie, whatever. It was like a it was like, it was like a CSI, but it was like with a Canadian Mountie.
1: Let me point out too that I, I called him Andy Sipwitz, which is his name on NYPD Blue. It's actually Dennis Franz. Yeah. Well, I, whatever. Sorry, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Our boy Dennis.
0: I knew who you meant. All right, so uh, I'm go- uh, Let's do. Um, I'm going to go with movies. Ooh. So I. I don't think I—I I didn't think I saw anything that came out on April twenty ninth. Uh, so there were some that came out on April twenty sixth, and then some that came out on May third. So those are the two closest dates. Okay. Uh, I have chosen one from each date. If the judge approves. Sure. Thank you, kindly, not, it sir. It sounds
1: like you're right in the middle of both. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see anything from April twenty ninth. So I'm going to start off with uh, this movie that came out on April twenty sixth, nineteen ninety six. Uh, and a little trivia question: What do Nick Nolte, Melanie Griffith, Chaz Palmentary, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Jennifer Connelly, Andrew McCarthy, and John Malkovich all have in common? Syphilis. Close. <laughs> they all were in a movie, a classic neo noir crime thr- thriller called Mulholland Falls. Oh yeah, everybody everybody remembers that classic movie. But basically, it was uh the the plot was in the early nineteen fifties a four man squad of unorthodox L A police detectives begins, uh, they kind of throw their weight around by tossing an organized crime figure from Chicago off a cliff on Mulholland drive. Uh, and it's called Mulholland falls for all the men they have thrown off it. So that's kind of what this movie is all about. Not to be
2: confused with the other movie Mulholland drive.
0: Yeah. David Lynch. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely a different movie. Yeah, definitely a different movie. So, it has a lot of big guys in there. You had, uh, I mean, Nick Nolte, Jennifer Connelly, uh, John Malkovich. So there's a Chats Momentary, Good good crew on that one. Good cast. But speaking of good casts, on May 3rd, 1996, The Craft mm. came out to theaters. Uh, an American supernatural horror film directed by Andrew Fleming and starred Robin Tunney, Faruza Balk, Bobby Boucher, uh, Nev Campbell, <laughs> and Rachel True. The film's plot centers around a group of four outcast teenage girls at a fictional Los Angeles parochial high school who pursue witchcraft for their own gain, but soon encounter negative repercussions, which proved to be the ruin of one of them and a harsh learning experience for the other three. Yeah, that was I remember that movie. I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, but yeah. That was a fantastic movie. I think I was just like, oh, for is and F. Campbell? Yes. The movie had a budget of 15 million and pulled in actually 55 million. So it made a had a pretty good haul back in the day. So the craft. Great movie. All right. I feel like that's also like a good like '90s staple too. Whenever you like, whenever like October rolls around, like Scream. I I think I watched uh, this year. um, I know what you did last summer, Mm -hmm. and then like The Craft. I feel like those are always like great '90s horror flicks to watch.
2: Yeah, not to help you out or anything, but it is super topical because again, they're remaking it, and I think that movie's coming out soon.
0: So. Thank I appreciate the help. <laughs> well, they're they're also, I mean, I mean, I could have said any movie, they're probably fucking remaking. It <laughs> exactly. <anyway. laughs> True. Yeah. All right,
1: Mark, what do you have?
2: All right, guys. So before Boogie Nights, before Studio 54, before Lovelace, there was a movie that came out on February third, nineteen eighty four, called Star Eighty, uh directed by Bob Foss this movie starred mariel hemingway and eric roberts and it's where a successful young model finds trouble when her obsessive manager turns husband becomes dangerously jealous based on the true story of 1980 playmate of the year dorothy stratton uh, interesting uh, tidbit or titbit about this uh, movie right before filming this movie to play dorothy stratton Meryl hemingway underwent breast augmentation surgery she denies that she did it for the movie, but she did do it right before she started playing Dorothy Stratton. So uh, Hugh Hefner sued the producers of the film. He didn't particularly care how he was portrayed in the film. And this is a film that Gene Siskel selected as one of his top 10 best films of that year. So, well, wow. star 80. If you've never seen it, check it out. If you're a big fan of Muriel Hemingway. I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah. So, my second movie selection is a film called Reckless. Ooh, that's a good one. Released February 3rd, 1984. A rebellious football player, Johnny, falls for the cheerleader, Tracy. They come from opposite backgrounds. She's from a comfortable, well-off family, and he's from a poor, broken home. Sounds like every typical movie. Uh stars Aidan Quinn, Daryl Hannah, Cliff DeYoung. Some interesting notes about this movie. It didn't make a whole lot of money. Um, It was kind of like a sex romance movie. Opening weekend, just over $2.4 million. Cumulative worldwide gross, $8.2 million. So you're asking, why the hell did I select this? Wasn't there another made-for-TV movie about a prostitute father this time? No, but there is a few interesting side notes. This movie marks the debut theatrical feature film scored by composer Thomas Newman.
1: Wow, you're so fucking bullied. He went
2: on to compose the uh, songs from Skyfall, Wally, The Help, Cinderella Man, The Lost Boys, Revenge of the Nerds, The Great Outdoors, and The Green Mile. This was the first feature film he composed for. And if that's not good enough, it is the debut produced screenplay of writer-director christopher columbus Ooh, that's right after this he would go on to write gremlins in the screenplay for goonies he would direct adventures in babysitting mrs doubtfire home alone one and two and rent and it gets better this movie also marks the theatrical film debut for director james foley who would direct glengarry glen ross an episode of twin peaks in 1996's fear with mark Wahlberg. That was a great movie. And if, if that's not good enough for you, this movie also marks the debut of Jennifer Grey in a major motion picture film, as well as star Aiden Quinn in his first movie. So for such a forgettable film, it was the start of a lot of people's epic careers. You had Thomas Newman, Christopher Columbus, James Foley, and Jennifer Grey and Aidan Quinn all got their start on this movie called Reckless. And it was released February third, nineteen eighty four. Good God.
0: All right. So <laughs> I actually I actually remember watching that. It has been a while, but I, I feel like I liked Late it when night, I watched it.
2: Cinemax. Probably that might
0: have been it. Um volume turned down low. So mom can't hear. <laughs> I'm going to bed, guys. Um yeah, Christopher Columbus, man.
2: Yeah. Uh what a
0: fucking career he had.
2: I don't know how he went from... People said, wow, that was a great screenplay he wrote for Reckless. Man, I think he could knock out this Goonies thing. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I don't see the stretch for that. But, hey, he went on to be legendary. This is where he got his start.
0: I love reading a lot of the stories uh, from him, essentially trying to manage uh, uh, McColney Culkin's parents. Yeah. <laughs> There's just some of, those, uh, some of those like notes and stories are just hilarious.
1: All right, so look, so we have uh, eighty four and ninety six. Uh, ninety six began this round, and you came out strong. Moholland Falls is actually a decent movie, even though like you didn't go too in depth into it. It's a really cool story, and I'm not big on timepieces, but that one I actually like. I do own, and the other one you have, I also own. The Craft, and between you and Mark, you came with the Craft. Mark uh, had this little tie into fear. And both those movies I went to with my high school girlfriend at the time because they both must have come out probably like about May of 96 on both of them, uh, which is kind of crazy. But you, Mark through this swerve in here because <laughs> Mark's going through his picks and he says star 80. And I'm like, I really don't care. Never heard of it again. Mark with another round bringing something that I've never heard of before. And then he comes with Reckless, which I've heard of, but I've never seen. And I was like, all right, this is a slam dunk. It's going to 96. And then you drop the bomb with Thomas Noonan. Was it Noonan? Newman. He's so relevant. Mark has to re-look uh, it up. But Thomas Newman, like, obviously, he's got it's got legs, but I don't care. But then when you said Christopher Columbus, and this is his first screenplay, this dude had such a run that they wanted to give this guy everything. Every script in Hollywood yeah. was getting sent. To Christopher Columbus, first he had his his pick at anything he wanted to do, and obviously everything he did up until I don't know,
0: I don't, is he still doing movies? Oh yeah, yeah. I, he was doing Harry, he was doing some Harry Potter stuff. Yeah, he, he did, did some did, uh... Harry
1: Potter stuff. I, recently, I don't know what he's done, but I mean the guy's career is it's epic. So I def, I got to go with eighty four with this one. I mean it's he threw that curveball right there at the end, and it just put Reckless over the edge. And that's the really cool part about these episodes, because it's a movie that you don't really care too much about. But then when you look at all the stuff associated with that movie, it just builds it to like an epic, epic proportions compared to the craft in Moan Falls. I just don't think it compares. So I got to go 84.
0: Yeah, but I said I said I said Nev Campbell.
1: Yeah. You know what? I was never a big Nev fan. I was such a horse face. Ah. Uh, I was more of a Robin Tunney fan.
0: I had Jennifer
2: Grey. And this was her debut. She actually did this before Red Dawn. She did Reckless. Everyone you know thinks Red Dawn was the start of her Don't career. really care
1: about uh, Jennifer Grey either or her uh, nose job where I can't. <laughs> if they put her in a lineup and you told me to pick out Jennifer Grey, I would not pick her any I saw her in front of me because she looks like a totally different person now. Uh, But, yeah, I got to give this one 84 so that uh, that puts Mark in the lead. Now, three to two comes down to the last round. Seems like this happens all the time. I didn't plan for it. It's not staged. It's just the way it is. Very close. Let's go. You guys have music and Mark, you can take this round or you can defer to Drew, whatever you want to do. You have control.
2: You know what? I got the momentum going my way. I'm just going to go for it. Oh, shit. All right. All right. So watch out. My first music selection is The Great Pretender, which is the 26th solo album by country icon Dolly Parton. Now, if you look up this album, some say the release date is January 23rd. But if you actually go to Dolly Parton's website, there is an article published February 5th, 1984. It says Dolly releases her 26th solo album, released February of 1984. It will feature a selection of popular cover songs from the 1950s and 60s. And this album was the very first Dolly Parton album to be released on compact disc. The album was produced by Val Gary, and it made very heavy use of synthesizers and had a very distinctly poppy sound. The first single was a remake of the Drifters' 1960s hit, Save the Last Dance for Me. It was a top 10 country single and then almost made the top 40 pop charts as well. So the track listing on this one, she had Saved the Last Dance for Me, I Walk the Line, Turn, 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 Downtown, We Had It All, and, you know, the hits just keep on coming. Of course, The Great Pretender on there as well. Dolly Parton covering the hits of the 50s and 60s. That's my first music selection. For my second one, let's head over to the UK for Sparkle in the Rain. It's the sixth studio album by Scottish rock band Simple Minds, released February 6, 1984. Now, due to a desire to release the album worldwide simultaneously, Simple Minds actually decided not to put out the record for sale before Christmas. So instead, they released Sparkle the Rain on the 6th of February of 1984, so that way it could be released on the same day the entire worldwide. Uh, The album was a breakthrough commercial success for the band. It immediately peaked at number one on the UK album charts and was the band's first chart topper and it remained on the charts for 57 weeks. It reached top 20 in numerous other countries, including New Zealand, Netherlands, Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Norway, and Australia. Sparkle in the Rain produced three UK top 40 singles. The first was Waterfront. Speed and Your Love to Me was close to follow, and Up the Catwalk was the third single. In a retrospective review for all music, Mackenzie Wilson awarded the album four and a half out of five stars, saying the album marked the band's best effort thus far, capturing seascapes of illustrious lyrical visions. So that's my second musical offering, Sparkle in the Rain, breakthrough album by Simple Minds.
1: All right, off to 84, or off to 96, rather. Let's, uh, Let's see what you got.
0: All right. So both of these were April 30th, uh, a day after April 29th. Uh, But the first one I have was an album by one of the 90s greatest acts, The Cranberries. And that album was To the Faithful Departed. Now, this album peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard 200, reached number one in Sweden, New Zealand, Belgium and Australia. So everybody around the world loves them. Uh, it went two times platinum in the US and has sold over 5.8 million copies worldwide, which I was actually surprised it sold that many. Um, cranberries are so huge. Obviously, you know, uh, was it Dolores Riordan was the singer. You know, she passed away recently last mm-hmm. the last what, year or two. But, man, I love the cranberries.
2: We just call her Dolores here on the show.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Dolores. <laughs> um, oh, so I remember. So we this was like, you know, back in the day, right? You like You would like listen to radio stations and like call in to win tickets or whatever. It's like one summer my sister and I were home and uh she wound up actually calling in to win i don't think it was this album i think it was their previous album and she actually wound up calling in and she was like the i forget whatever caller and she wound up actually like winning like a free copy of i think it was no need to argue It's either that or i think it was actually everybody else is doing it so why can't we i think that was the album uh, we wound up getting but yeah that was pretty cool but there were so on this uh there were four singles salvation free to decide when you're gone Hollywood and salvation was their biggest single off that album. And it hit 21 on the U S billboard hot 100. Um, so yeah, cranberries are still big, man. They have, if you check on Spotify, they have over uh 9 million monthly listeners on Spotify. So they're uh they're still a big deal. I love listening to the Cranberries still to this day. So
1: do me a favor. Uh, how's the chorus of salvation go?
0: Salvation.
1: <laughs> that that, that doesn't that... help. Try do it one
0: more time salvation salvation she just keeps singing salvation that's really all she does man <laughs> I, I thought i was bad but it's very catchy <laughs> not when you do it <laughs> that's why that's why i host the podcast that's why i'm not a singer i i know my limits
1: <laughs> all right cool so you have cranberries uh all right what do you have after
0: cranberries uh so next uh same day Crash from Dave Matthews Band came yeah. out, which was their huge follow-up to Under the Table and Dreaming. Uh, this album peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard 200, sold over 7 million copies. as uh, the band's best-selling album. It had five singles on there. Too Much, So Much to Say, Crash Into Me, Two-Step, and Tripping Billy's. Uh, crash to me is a huge friggin' song that hit number 19 on the U S billboard hot 100. And that song has actually been downloaded on Spotify over 102 million times. And Dave yeah. Matthews band in general has 2.4 million monthly listeners. So pretty big album.
2: Crash into me was the jam back in the day in college. If you wanted to fuck a hippie chick, that was the song that you put on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could put on crash <laughs> into me or even uh satellite was another one from their previous album, yes. but yeah, crash yeah, into me a and, one. Pretty much like any you would throw you could throw on Dave like any Dave Matthews and, and the girls just be like, oh, let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with Dave.
1: Dave the Spanish fly of uh the mid-90s. Uh all right, so let's look at this. So we're we're three points to two right here. I think it's pretty clear cut with this round. Mark came with a cover album from Dolly Parton. Uh made it sound like a million bucks, but it probably did have legs in the United States, whereas the Simple Minds album. Sounds like nobody cared in the United States.
0: Dolly Parton is a national treasure. I'd like to she go is. on the. record in I mean, it, it <laughs> is,
1: it's the big one that he has. The Simple Minds thing, I know you're playing it up. Uh, if we're in UK, maybe it was a bigger deal. Here, I think, until uh, you got Don't You Forget About Me, which, you know, I think right. they recorded the end of that year or the year after. Uh, so you just you missed out on that. If you would have had that, it would have been much bigger. I bet you the plays... And Don't You Forget About Me are probably astronomical, like even on Spotify.
2: Right. This was the album before that. It kind of changed their sound. And it was kind of this is where they were getting to that point. Like I said, it was breakthrough for that band. It wasn't their hit, but it was breakthrough. So I understand where you're going with that.
1: Yeah. And then uh, we look at 96. We got the Cranberries that shit was always on mtv and i made you sing that song i fucking hate that song (laughs) You, you singing it just hammered it home how bad i hate that song it actually it always and maybe the cranberries fans are gonna kill me for this but it uh it always remind me of like a knockoff zombie
2: now wait a minute i wasn't given a chance to sing
0: if i bust out some dolly parton no do I get to win? No. All
1: right.
0: No. If, if, any, if, anything, if anything, I probably cost myself the round by singing.
1: No, but then uh, you came out with Crash. And look, in 1996, Dave Matthews Band, of course, you know he had Under the Table and Dreaming and then his like, on-release stuff before that. So he had a big following already. But in 96, that stapled him for years to come. That album was so massive throughout that year. That not so much MTV stuff, because uh, this is you're you're starting to get more shows on MTV. You didn't see too much Dave. You saw him sometimes, not as much as the Cranberries, but he was Dave was always on the radio. And then everyone, yes. it, this thing with Dave Matthews, I, like I'm calling him Dave, like I fucking know him. It's just something with his music, you know. It's like if you saw Dave Matthews, hey, Dave, what's up? Like you know, it's just like some dude.
2: Right. We're talking 96 here. At the same time, you also had Fish, Blues Traveler, The Spin Doctors, all these really popular jam bands that all came out of what mostly was the New York City wetlands scene. The wetlands was a a popular bar where all these big jam bands came out of. Dave Matthews was the first one to break out into the mainstream. They were getting MTV play. They were getting mainstream top forty radio play. They big were the time. first jam band to kind of break out in that way. So yeah, massive pick.
0: Yeah, get more mainstream. Also, uh, that solidified his concert following too. I oh, think after, yeah. I mean, he was getting oh, big yeah. at that point. But like after that, all all you had to do is like tell people you had date tickets, tickets, and yep. they were they were like your best friend all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, you know, and yep. this dude is still touring like that. Not probably not yeah. as much as he was back then, but he's still on the road, probably. Yeah. Uh, more than six months a year i'd say
2: still sells out stadiums everywhere he goes one of the hardest tickets to get
1: i saw him in 99 was the first time i saw him and that concert buddy guy opened and i don't even remember that seems like it was like a flash in the pan and then all of a sudden dave played and it seemed like it was like a three-hour concert every song felt like it was like 25 minutes long
2: Yeah, isn't that awesome? (laughs) No, not really. I kind of wish they were a lot shorter.
1: (laughs) Night went on forever. But, I mean, it was cool seeing him for the first time. Uh, But, yeah, I got to give this round to 96. I think that's just a a really good pairing. Uh, Whether I like the Cranberries or not, the Dave Matthews thing is phenomenal. And the cover album in 84 and Simple Minds kind of on their way up. I see where you're going with that. But I got to give this one to – I mean, Dave Matthews turned himself into international – superstar i, I crash. can't
2: argue with dave man
1: no that's like when somebody pulled out pearl jam 10 on us it's one of them albums that gets pulled out what 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 are the sales numbers on crash did you drop that by any chance
0: uh seven million that's i it? Think it was wow that's kind of what i said too i was like i thought would be more but yeah sold over seven million copies yeah wow well hippies are cheap so
2: <laughs> well, see that's the thing with jam bands the albums didn't always sell well because it's more about the live shows which sound completely different than what's done in the studio so we kind of just traded the tapes around so you might not have bought the dave album but you got 40 or 50 live shows on cassette so
1: right oh he definitely he had a huge following i remember oh yeah sophomore year in high school which is like 94 and that was right when uh under the table and dreaming came out
0: And That was was a great album. Yeah, like
1: after like a couple months, I remember everyone had like Dave Matthews shirts and we listened to Dave Matthews. Never heard them before. Same thing happened with like Green Day in 94. It was just like that year took off with like all these big bands and stuff. And they just kind of went on for a long time, which is something you don't get every year. And then I think in 96, there weren't really too many huge debut bands, but we started getting like these albums that got them to the next level. And this right. this yeah. really like launched him. So I don't want to be a dead horse. Giving this one to ninety six, and Drew gets his <laughs> first fucking singles win, and Mark is like one in nine or oh, something.
2: Yeah, yet another defeat. But Drew, y'all always remember your first. Congratulations <laughs> on a great win. Tell our listeners where they can listen to your show.
0: Yeah, uh, so I am the host of the One Headlight Nineties podcast. Uh, we talk about all kinds of things from the nineties music. Uh, movies tv sports i'm actually working on a three-part episode of beavis and butthead which is fantastic so that'll be coming out in the next couple weeks uh and then after that we're getting into some more music some one hit wonders from the 90s so a lot of good stuff coming up and you can find us on uh, itunes google play stitcher spotify wherever you get your fine podcasts from
2: Excellent. While you're on the uh, internets, you can surf on over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe on iTunes, on CastBox, on Spotify, wherever podcasts are available, you can find Dueling Decades. And then go over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades where you can join our Facebook group. All week long, we have great retro content going up in our private group community and on our main page. You can also play trivia with us all week long for supremacy on the Dueling Decades leaderboards. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone.
1: Infirmary Media.